Producing Crime features conversations with influential thinkers in the police service and leading crime and policing researchers. Art Acevedo is the interim police chief in Aurora, Colorado, and has been a chief for the California Highway Patrol in Austin, Texas, Houston, Texas, and for a short, tumultuous tenure, Miami, Florida. We talk about his career, his viral public address after the murder of George Floyd, and what needs to change in police leadership. Welcome to Reducing Crime. I'm Jerry Ratcliffe. Trekkies will recognise first-gen Spock there, passing on some last-minute wisdom to Jim Kirk before making the ultimate sacrifice. Or it would be if they didn't then reboot him in the very next movie, and again with a different actor in 2009. Star Trek canon is complicated if you don't know your way around it. One person who definitely knows his way around it, and the reason that clip will become relevant in this episode, is my guest Art Acevedo. Cuban-born Acevedo came to the United States at the age of four and was raised in El Monte, California. In 1986, he joined the California Highway Patrol, rising to make chief in 2005. He moved to municipal policing and was hired as police chief in Austin, Texas in 2007, spending nearly a decade leading that department. He followed that with a stint as police chief in Houston, Texas, from late 2016 to early 2021. During his time in Houston, Art rose to international prominence from a viral video showing him speaking to community members in Houston after the murder of George Floyd. We talk about that pivotal moment in this episode, but for now, take a listen to a snippet of that video. And what I love about this man and this man and this man, what I love about this city is that they want people of color to be talked about as being thugs and we're bums and, and, and my people, for, as an immigrant, we're rapists. Hmm. We, we know what? We built this country. We ain't going nowhere. The ship has sailed. So if you've got hate in your heart for people of color, get over it. Because this city is a minority majority city. And this city is a city where blacks and whites and browns and legal and illegal all get together because we judge each other by the content of our hearts. So I am angry. I'm angry. In April 2021, Art Acevedo was sworn in as police chief in Miami, Florida starting a tumultuous, somewhat fractious, and ultimately short-lived tenure that lasted barely six months before he was fired by the city manager. He was recently hired as the interim police chief of the Aurora, Colorado Police Department. I chatted to Art at the American Society of Evidence-Based Policing Conference in May earlier this year. I strongly recommend this annual meeting of thinking cops and practical academics. And hey, next year it's in Las Vegas. And as we all know, what happens in Vegas? Eh, generally clears up with penicillin. Bear with me during the recording, I have a bit of a cold, but at least it wasn't COVID. And as you join us, we were just chatting about COVID. I'll talk about COVID because COVID has been very frustrating for me as a police executive, that we've lost up hundreds of cops that didn't need to die. Yeah. 
because we're just like society, right? We get people from society, so we are a reflection of society. And 50% of cops, they decided to follow politics. Yeah, didn't right? get the vaccine. Yeah, and so over 300 died that didn't need to die. And it just saddens me. Um, but I think it speaks as to the challenges of this country right now for public servants and just for Americans in general. There's so much division and everything's political. How did that happen? Because, I mean, here we are at a conference for evidence-based policing yeah. and you've got this evidence-based policy about vaccines and all these cops are going, nah, I, I looked at something on the internet on Facebook, so I'm not doing it. Well, like I told my cops, I would tell them, hey, uh, you know, we're supposed to follow the clues. Yeah. And my clue is that when every living president and their families got vaccinated, that's your clue that maybe you should be getting vaccinated. Right, yeah. And these are the same guys that would scream and yell that it's just a flu, no big deal. It's a flu vaccine. Yeah. The science was not new. Well, I give the Trump administration a lot of credit. They put an emphasis on it and they got it done. Unfortunately, he politicized the vaccine, but he still took it, didn't he? Yeah. So it is what it is. Yeah, so you've come a hell of a long way from being born in Havana. 1224-68, we landed in Miami. We were part of the Freedom Flight. We spent a week processing at the House of Liberty, which was old World War II barracks in, uh, on the international airport grounds. Then we moved to Los Angeles. You were like four years old at this four time. Four and a half, yeah, four and a half. And my father said to us, we're not going to stay in Miami because if we stay in Miami, you're not going to learn about other culture. You're not going to learn about being an American. You're not going to learn about... That was insightful of him. I thought very much so. I'm convinced had my father not done that, I'd never end up having the wonderful career that I've had in law enforcement. And it is that experience as a refugee. My dad and mom would say, hey, kid, just remember that the United States has given you the greatest gift of all, which is freedom. So make sure you take advantage of it and you pay it back. Oh, there we go. We should run a flag up around that. Amen. 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 Your father was in the job. I read yeah, that your Cuba, father was yeah. a police officer. Yeah, in Cuba, way before in the communists, yeah. Wow. Way before the communists. And, you know, I loved my old man and my mom and dad. I'm, I'm a mommy and daddy's boy. You know, I lived to make them proud like a little goober. But he'd tell stories, of, you know, it's Cuba, right? So, you know, we kept getting reports of a ghost chilling chickens in Havana. Right. Yeah. Where's the CAD code for that? Yeah, so, <laughs> so he spots the so-called ghost stealing chickens. So I spotted that ghost one night and I started shooting some rounds in the air. It's Cuba, right? Different use of force policy. I don't know. There's some parts of the U.S. where that still flies. Unfortunately. But, but his joke was, I've never seen a ghost jump fences as quickly as this ghost did. <laughs> and the ghost went away after that never came back. So it was a guy in a white sheet probably or a lady. Right. And he'd tell me, yeah, and then when we'd get in pursuit, son and they were running from us, we'd get the Thompson machine gun and we'd put it out the window and just start shooting them. Okay, Dad, that's like DPS in Texas. We don't do that in the United States, you know. DPS used to do that uh, until not too recently. They'd be, oh Lord, they'd be shooting from helicopters down at vehicles, a sniper from a helicopter. And I remember that that happened in a pursuit about eight, nine years ago. And they knew that there was people underneath the tarp. You can see it with their infrared, right? Oh, their good. flare. They still shot and the thing rolled, killed people. And I remember being at a dinner with the number two guy from uh, the Texas DPS. Says, hey, I want to give you a little word of advice. Do not do that in Austin, Texas. No shit. You're going to get indicted. I mean, that strikes me that you've always had this kind of sense of you're very passionate about good policing, but you don't mind calling out bad policing. No, you got you to call balls and strikes, right? I say as leaders, our job is to call balls and strikes. Well, some people just feel like they, the only way is to be 100% back the blue and anything less than that is. No, the, when you have that mindset, you do more to hurt the good men and women in American policing. Look, nothing happens in a vacuum anymore, right? No, that's okay. Look, I, I was a cop for 35 years, and part of the challenge for this generation of police officers 
is they truly are so much better than they were 35 years ago. But we didn't have 350 million or 400 or 500 million of cell phones. We didn't have ring cameras. We didn't have public safety cameras. We didn't have everything captured. If we can move the clock back 35 years when I started and had been able to capture everything then, be able to prove that we've made a lot of strides. We've, we've made a lot of progress, but it is a work in progress. It never ends. I remember back to uh, when I was a young police officer in the East End of London. Yeah. You know, if I'd capture cameras on me then all the time, I, I wouldn't have got fired. I didn't do anything wrong, but I just made an ass of myself on frequent occasions. Yeah. You're just learning. It takes yeah. a while to learn the job. And you're young and you're immature. You know, we come on at 21. We're, we're pretty immature and we're young. And Is that when you joined the job? Right, as soon as I could. I quit law school to be a cop and I never looked back. Because your father was a police officer? Was that an influence on it? I think the biggest influence for me was growing up, I wanted to be one of three things. A uh, West Point graduate, a uh, prosecutor. <laughs> yeah or a police officer. And all three of those, the way I was raised is because I wanted to give back to this country, to pay back for the greatest gift of all. Your father freedom. made it a point, right? Yeah, yeah. And my brother served in the army for 30 years, went to both Gulf Wars voluntarily, volunteered for both. I've got a nephew who just graduated at West Point. My other nephew, great nephew actually, because I'm old, he was in the Marine Corps, he just got out. He was actually in the in the Marine Corps barracks in D.C. and was in the presidential detail, so you know he's a sharp kid. Yeah. You know, there's this big immigration debate in this country. Immigrants are a four-letter word. I hadn't noticed. Yeah, right. So you're lucky you have that East Texas accent. Yeah, you know, that's that right. Far East Texas South accent. South Philly, born and raised, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, but it's a tough time for policing. It's a tough time for the country, and poor cops are stuck in the middle. The cops are stuck in the middle of it, aren't they? They are. We're also seeing that we are part of the problem. You're talking about we're not as good as those that say we're perfect. And we're not as bad as those that say we're broken. Right. We are like every other condition of humanity. We're imperfect. Well, and when my cops say, hey, chief, you know cops are? They're, we're number one. We're number, have you ever heard that? I look around and I go, hey, man, if we're number one, I hate to see second best. Because if you end up with that mindset that you've arrived, you've got nothing to learn, yep. you only have one way to go in your performance and it ain't up. It's down. So I always tell our officers that we should seek every day as an opportunity to do a little better. So you grew up in California? Yeah. And then joined California Highway Patrol. Patrol? Yeah. You? How long were you there? 21 years. I was there for 21 years, and I applied for LAPD, LA Sheriff's, and the CHP. Cool. With one of those, you kind of dodged a bullet a wee bit. Which one of them? Well, I don't want to say. Uh. <laughs> Look, I love the CHP, but sometimes we get too big for our britches. And they have a great national reputation or great organization. But let me tell you something. If you put all the misconduct of the CHP that spread out through this big state and the one city, one county, one community, they'd be under a consent decree. I mean, they're great, but they're, they're not saints, right? So I worked in internal affairs. I worked special investigations. And I can tell you that I learned early on, never say never when there's an allegation. We had a female cop, could have been a supermodel, selling methamphetamines out of the police car in uniform. The way I look at it is there's 800,000 cops across the United right. States. So you show me a city with 800,000 people that doesn't have some degree of criminality exactly. in it. I mean, the great strength of policing is that people are drawn from the community. Yep. The great downside of policing is They're that... They're drawn from the community. Exactly. You're not drawn on Petri dishes, right? Yeah. Which means that leadership, accountability, your systems, your risk management systems, your investigation systems, all those things really matter, right? And, you know, as a chief, it would kill me and just irk the, the bejesus out of me when I had to fire somebody. I remember when I went to Austin, I started as a chief there in July of 2007. 
And I had to fire a guy early on after an Oshenbaugh shooting where he killed Kevin Brown, African-American individual that was running away from him. Right. He was armed with a pistol. But the only thing this guy demonstrated throughout this entire thing is a desire to... Get away. When people have guns and dope, nine times out of ten, what they're trying to do, and they start running, is get away. Yep. Well, he dumps the firearm. Here comes this other guy named Mike Olson, Sergeant Olson, and basically triangulated him. They went around different parts of this uh, complex, and he basically double taps him, takes him down. Hmm. While he's on the ground, we didn't have body-worn cameras, we had any car cameras, but you can still hear the, the audio. Right. Uh, Kevin Brown saying, please don't let me die. And then he shoots two more times. He missed but he still shoots two more. The guy's just laying there. Yeah, I know. So I ended up firing this guy. I'm brand new. And I come out of the DRH. This one review hearing in Texas, you have to have one with the chief. And uh, somebody says, well, we saw that one coming. He was getting fired because of this guy's history and who he was. And my response, because I'm dealing with something that A, could have been I'm sure prevented. you're very restrained because, you know, you... I'm very quiet. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. I just, I just, I did... You're almost a monk, yeah. Yeah, almost. And I said, if you saw it coming, what did you do about it? Because I think that when I worked internal affairs with the CHP, almost without exception, people ended up getting fired. There was a path to that moment. Right. There was a series of actions and that led to that moment. And then this really irritates me is that we let all this stuff go. We don't hold them accountable. But then when they really piss off management, now you want to throw everything in, in the kitchen sink. Right. And if it ain't documented, it didn't happen. Yeah. Right? So a lot of careers in this country and a lot of lives have been lost and a lot of harm has been done because too many leaders don't want to do the heavy lifting. But in some cases, isn't it the case that it's really difficult for the police leaders due to contracts and arbitration, all those kind of things, to actually get rid of bad people? I think that that's true in a lot of places, but I think part of it also is... They don't want to do the battle. You don't want to fight, Yeah. right? So I get to Texas and the union was, hey man, and this is true, well, yeah, when you fire somebody, it's 50-50. They're going to get their job back. Well, I'm proud of the fact that I batted 975. There you right? go. Because, A, very clear what the expectations were. If you lie, you die. If you abuse people, you're done. Two, you have to be consistent. If you start looking at personalities instead of based on this fact and this work history, because, you know, not every, not every case is the same. They're all distinguishable. But if you're consistent, you're clear in your expectations, and you testify. Right. To stand up for your decision, yeah. I batted 975. I'm, it was not fun. It was really interesting is when I first got to Texas, I don't like drunk drivers. A lot of cops die from drunk driving and get injured. A lot, a lot of my friends have been hurt and killed. Yeah. And a lot of Americans, you know, a lot of uh, mm. community members are probably. Oh, yeah. Well, in the state of Texas, if you are convicted of DWI, you're prohibited from becoming a police officer for 10 years. I'm okay with that rule. Okay, but listen to this, though. You're a 19-year-old kid. You go to college. You get a conviction to UWI. You can't even apply until you're 29. Right. But if you're a cop who's taken an oath of office, who knows the consequences, who sees firsthand the scourge that this stuff is, they were getting 10-day suspensions. Yeah, that's not right. That's I'm sorry. Right. I, I had a problem with that. So you know what I did? And, and I was getting all these UWIs when I got there. I said, you know what? We're done. I did a video, I put it out, and said effective from this moment forward. If you get arrested for DWI, and you know how DAs can plea bargain the hell out of everything, if I can prove it administratively, you're fired. And it worked. We always won those cases. So you moved to Austin. Yeah. Is that your real first exposure to just the politics around being a chief? 
did you have a sense of it with CHP? But I'm feeling that you've got state politics because it's Texas, and then you've got city politics because right. it's Austin. Right. What was that like? Uh, well, first with the CHP, you have to remember, the CHP is more of the, the political pressures. When a buddy of mine that was testifying against a bill, and all of a sudden the governor's office calls the commissioner of the Hyper and says, and by the way, it was the right position against the bill, but some rich benefactor. You eventually got to the word benefactor, but I could see what was going through your mind. You know what yeah. I'm talking about. So some rich uh, guy, and I know who it was and everything, that owned one of the largest trucking companies in the state of California, wanted, for his business purpose, let people drive a lot more hours. Right. So we took a position that was evidence-based, and it was based on data, it was based on safety, and it was based on the best interest of the public. Perish the thought. Yeah. So there's my poor buddy. Yeah, we're against this. And all of a sudden, he passed on my note. As I was saying, we and the member of the legislature said, you all got the call, didn't you? Yes, sir. You know, we make fun of Mexico and other places. We're just a little bit more sophisticated here. You know, it's just, we don't shoot each other. We just, it's all about yeah, money. America never comes top of the integrity rankings in terms of Transparency International. We're, yeah. we're a long way from the top yeah. there. Yeah. But we think we are. How is it with city politics? What happens, I think, once I transition to Austin and municipal policing is now you're answerable to a specific community. Was that a shock for you, a change for you? No, because I was a very strange higher patrolman. I, when I was a young uh, guy in East LA, we swore, we didn't call ourselves East LA CSU, we said we, East LA PD, right? Right. And I was, with a, I was in the mindset that without the community, without engaging the community, you're never gonna be effective. I went to East LA as a trainee. I promoted as a sergeant there. Then I came back as the captain. I love East LA, I love that community. It's a big Hispanic immigrant community. Austin must have been quite a change in. It was a change in that now you're in a community where you're really the fishbowl, the intensity of the scrutiny of the leadership of the department. And then Austin has a lot of activists there. You know, I mean, I always talk about extremism, especially in this country right now, the two extremes. Yeah. I have a problem with both, even though one's more anti-democracy right now. You figure that out. Which one that is. It doesn't but, take a rocket scientist right, or a PhD, right. I think, with so, that, yeah. But that doesn't let the other side off the hook being a little bit crazy at times no, either. No, absolutely not. No, I mean, come on. Uh, abolish the police. Defund the police. Come on. It's hogwash. But the problem is how many chiefs actually speak up against that? Right. We, we keep quiet. And like I said about the community of 10 in Austin, that, that was the rude awakening for me. Because we had the same 10 actors that would show up at City Hall every week. And they'd scream about something. And you'd see the policymakers make a decision based on the input of 10 people. That doesn't feel very democratic. You know what, you wanna see things better in this country? When it comes to gerrymandering for these any partisan race, that those districts, whatever the configuration of the districts are, depending on the level of government, that they all have to be 50-50. Yeah, then now, we'll see some moderates. Now everybody's gonna focus on good policy and on good governance and not on good political theater based on primary politics, right? When, when you live in a city or in a community where your primary election determines who's going to win the general that is not good for that community no because you have to be an extremist and that's can be the problem how long did you spend in austin almost 10 years i got there july of 07 and left in uh, november of uh, 16. what would you consider to be like your flagship thing that sense of success that you got from being in austin i'm very proud of the fact that we really transitioned the department to being more intelligence-led data-driven in a place that was very difficult to get stuff done because from the extreme right, anything you try to do was big brother. Right. And to the extreme left, everything you wanted wanted to accomplish was 
civil liberties, right? right? And right now, these extremes have fallen off the earth and kind of met in the middle. Yeah, they've come all the way around and now they're on the same page, which is the most bizarre thing. I mean, I was able to navigate that very successfully for 10 years. I'm really proud of the chief before me. Couldn't get public safety cameras. And it was the, uh, the activists that ran the local ACLU would help kill it because their position was, you have an expectation of privacy walking down the street, right? I called and we had in-car cameras. And I said, hey, um, her name was Debbie. I said, hey, Debbie, I want you to know you've, you've convinced me. You have convinced me that, that the, the people of Austin have uh, an expectation of privacy walking down the street. And I said, so next month I'm taking out all the cameras in the police cars. What? What are you talking about? You know, I mean, when we stop somebody, that camera's capturing the passenger, the person driving by, the guy walking across the street with his girlfriend when his wife's at home. They're getting stopped by the police. How stressful is that? She says, you can't do that. I said, well, wait a minute. Are you trying to tell me your position is we can't have public safety cameras in a public space to keep an eye on the crooks, but we can have them to keep an eye on the cops? So you can't have it both ways. That was the end of that. Ten years, give or take, is a much longer tenure than most police chiefs have. The average of these days is something like three years. It's, three it's, years, it's that, really- that, That's extremely long now. Yeah, <laughs> it's really low. What was the impetus to move? Because I mean, most cases, once you've made it 10 years, so it's like, that's tenure for life. Was it because to move to a bigger city or did you just get the feeling you'd done everything that you wanted to do? I think that if you don't accomplish what you set to accomplish in 10 years, you're never gonna get it done, one. Two, there's a lot of other departments that need to evolve. Right. Three, by leaving, I wanted to create an opportunity for someone. Well, they had not had an inside chief for 35 years until Brian Manley got it when I left. And now Joe Chacon's a second chief in a row, and I'm really, I'm really proud of that. So you moved to Houston in 2016. I mean, that was a hell of a ride. I loved Houston. <laughs> First of all, my cops there would tease me about, hey, come into the bigger city. I go, no, 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 hold on. I'm from Los Angeles. Right. That's where I grew up as a cop. That's how I grew up as a person. So, you know, Houston's not as big as LA, but you know, it's big enough, you know? So I, I, I know how I always push back on that. Being the first Hispanic chief there, and in, was, and in Austin, both. Yeah. Was that a big deal or did you just like, it is what it is? Two things. One, as a Hispanic or as a female or whoever you are, if you're a first, I think you have a responsibility to conduct yourself in a manner and perform in a manner where there'll be a second. Right. Right? I mean, diversity's never been our strong suit. It's like right now we're trying to go back, turn the clock back, right, in our country. And think about who was president at that time is President Trump. His rhetoric about immigrants and others was, uh, it was very divisive and it was very mean-spirited. And I think that to this day, I go back to the Houston, the community, whether it's the African-American community or the Hispanic community, documented, undocumented, legal or illegal, they appreciate the fact that I would stand up for the community. Which leads me into, I mean, one of the most high-profile things that I think from my outside perspective that you've been involved in is the viral video uh, post George Floyd, you in with protesters, just engaging with people with some really kind of irate protesters, black and brown protesters, right in the heart of Houston. That really put you on the map for a bunch of people. What was that day like? Well, that was more than a day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one night I disappeared for four hours. We had a protest of about 60,000 people, and I disappeared at night by myself and these crowds for four hours. Did you spend a lot of time thinking about what your position was going to be or was this just instinctive? You know, uh, that was just a spontaneous thing, but that was speaking from the heart. That video was, made me a racist according to my conservative cops, right? Right. Because they only hear what they want to hear. 
they forgot that I said, in this city, I brought in that we all get along and we're not going to let people tear down our city. And it was powerful, man. I mean... It was very authentic. Yeah. And... Uh, you, can't, you can't make that up, right? I mean, you can't just make it. Some people try to, but it just, it doesn't ring true. But I mean, I was surprised, obviously, because knowing you as I do, you're such a shy, retiring kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, remember, I'm an immigrant, right? So I hate hypocrisy in life. Like even Cubans now, it's like, okay, we've arrived to hell with everybody else. I look, I'm not up, I'm not in for open borders at all. But we haven't changed the immigration numbers here in how long? The only way we're going to sustain this country is through immigration. And we're going to have to compete because people have other options besides the United States. You're very clear about, you're not backward in coming forwards about your political views on things. Is that the reality of being a chief nowadays? Or is that something that you go, yeah, I'm taking a risk, put my views out there? as a chief, because a lot of people try to make police chief an apolitical job, but you don't mind just embracing it and owning it. What they don't understand is that people need to know your heart. People can't trust you if you don't know your heart. And what I have always found interesting is that as a police chief, you gotta police everybody. And you have to try to build trust with everybody. I mean, I'm the idiot that you would go on Alex Jones back before he got uber crazy. Why? Because Alex Jones had a large following. Most people are living in my community. They're living all over the world. And I believe that you have to create trust with everybody and they have to feel that you care about them. But what even if your politics differ from them significantly? Uh, most Americans and most human beings are reasonable people. Whether they agree with you or not, what's more important to them is what's in your heart. If they think you're being genuine. I'd probably agreed with that like two or three years yeah, ago. Yeah, but, but you know what? But you know what, Doc? Um, Don't call me Doc. It makes me sound like a proctologist. <laughs> Jerry, Dr. J. Dr. J, listen, the truth of the matter is people think they know you. And it's so interesting to me. They think I'm this liberal chief, right? Or in the extreme left, they think I'm this George Floyd protest in Houston. I always say, do not confuse kindness for weakness. When that sun went down and people started breaking stuff, yeah, we made over 700 arrests. So the real left, Acevedo, you're a hypocrite. You march with everybody during the day and the cameras are on that night. No. During the day, there were families, there were people exercising the First Amendment rights. We were there to facilitate those rights. And at night, the freaks came out and started breaking stuff, and they went to jail. Period. But let me just finish the real quick. So President Trump's running for office. I'm still in Austin. And these are two anecdotes that I'm telling you. People think that you care. That's half the battle as a leader, whether they agree with you or not. Trump's comment. We were having little riots everywhere he went, San Jose. And I leave from the front. So I knew I'd get criticized by some folks because when that plane landed, the police chief was at the bottom of those stairs. I'm the police chief. Right. My job is to let that man do what he needs to do in terms of exercising his rights to run. Because that's that American freedom. That's right. I shook his hand. Mr. Trump, welcome to Austin. My name is Art Austin. I'm the police chief. I will be with you this entire day. And I promise you, I guarantee you'll be able to conduct your campaign business without any, any incident here. I was in some hits from people. Oh, what the guys? Uh, whether it was him or Hillary, it doesn't matter. We're going to be there. Right. We go to ACL. Have you been to Austin lately? No, for a couple of years. COVID, you know. It's a Sean Hannity town hall forum. If you're going to a Sean Hannity town hall, you're a true believer in the message he's putting out. So it's sold out. I'm this left wing nut to people on the right think, and and I walk in, people notice me, and all of a sudden I hear. Hey, it's our police chief, it's our Nassau And the whole place started clapping. Okay, so this thing goes on. Then we're over. The thing's over. Now we gotta go outside. Who do you think's waiting outside? All the crazy people to the left, right? 
and they're wearing costumes and these crazy masks. And, and I walk out to just scope it out right before it ended. Hey, Tripoli chief, it's our house of Asia. I'll start clapping. And at that point, the batteries died. You know, you would think that after doing this for more than 50 episodes, I would have this shit down. But nope, time for another rookie mistake. On the plus side, I had spares and we were back up and running in seconds. Not that Art was going to let me get away with that. Oh no. Look, the batteries just died on me. I didn't even meet any flipping warning. It was showing three little things. What did you do to it? Oh my Dur God. Duracell works. What is this crap here? This is what you're doing now that you're no longer a police chief? You're just shilling for Duracell now? <laughs> no, I think you took these from the department. Oh my God, what's going Actually, on? Actually, I... So, yeah. so we were just saying that given that politics is, I suppose, inevitable, right? Is that the measure of success? If the left love you and the right love you, you're doing it right. And if the left hate you and the right hate you, you're kind of also doing it right. So it's whatever love or hate you, it's in equal measures. Yeah, yeah. I, I how, just, how do you find that line? I, well, look, when you piss off both sides, both extremes, you're probably in a good sweet spot on a, on a policy issue. But the funny thing is that the more you engage people, you know, I like to say that when people run away from activists or critics, I like to run towards them. Because when you engage people, you can disarm people. And when you get to engage people through relational policing, I'm always talking about, they end up saying, hey, this guy's all right, or this person's all right. Because no matter what we disagree on, I guarantee you, even the most extreme people, there's things that we can't agree on. And if we can't agree, like in the legislature in Texas, I'm a big critic of our AG. But yet, I've got, I had a cell phone number, and when I needed his help, because my judges in Houston were letting hardcore criminals that are killing people in one door and out the other. Right. That are not moving cases. People aren't even plea bargaining anymore because they know that they get a better, better deal. The more time that goes by, the better deal they get. That's the case in a few cities now. It's, it's really worrying. But we don't talk about it. No. I mean, I used to tease my, my sheriff in Harris County. We just had 12 people shot this weekend in the county. And you're tweeting on Monday, hey, happy Monday, everybody. The sun came up, ain't live great. Yeah, not for 12 people and their families. I mean, come on. And their um, community. So I spent a lot of time in the neighborhoods, whether it's on patrol or just bullshitting with people. And when I would be pushing back on the judges letting the people out, in out one door, the, the hardcore criminals, I'd be, in, I'd be in the highest crime neighborhoods, African-Americans, Hispanics, coming up thanking me for standing up for us. Because these politicians, they're so out of touch sometimes with the real community. Well, you hear all this talk about defund, and then you look at surveys of black communities, and you know, who knows where those people are, because it's like Gallup National Polls, but even they're saying 80% of them want the same amount of policing or more. or more. So there is that political capture by a small, and this is on both sides, yeah. the extremist group can really capture the political conversation to the detriment of communities because unfortunately too many elected officials are knee-jerk they're not in touch with the people they serve that's why there's so much frustration in this country you know again relational police is about the transparency the respect we're starting with self-respect the engaging i mean in laos cities nobody even knows who the police chief is right, right? um i'll never forget i go to an event in austin the person at the front desk calls me by my first name chief art to me when people are yelling your first name it's because they can't pronounce your last name. Well, no, no. It means they think they know you. Yeah. That's the way I'm going to translate that, right? You can't buy that, right? You, can't, you couldn't buy that kind of goodwill. Speaking of pissing off politicians, yeah. your uh, relatively short-lived tenure in Miami, 
Yeah. I know for a variety of reasons, should we say involving lawyers, that you can't talk about much yeah. of that. But were there sort of broader lessons that now you, that you reflect on that have given you kind of insights into well, the role in me, general? Yeah, look, let me just say this. I've always, I've, I've had the, the honor of being a big city police chief for like almost 15 years, right? Yeah. In three different cities and two, two of the bigger cities in the country. And I've, ha- I've been able to mentor a lot of young executives. And I've always said several things to them. Do not take the job if you're afraid to lose the job. Come to work to do your job, not keep your job. And if you're going to get fired, get fired for doing your job, right? I mean, to me, that's leadership. And when I go to Miami and early on, I realize, holy, these people just, they think they're in Cuba still. I think it's, it was God's way of letting me walk the talk. Because, you know, you, talk, you say these things and people think you're full of it. Yeah, sure. No, and that's the problem. Because if you're afraid to lose your job, you'll be driven by fear. It will, it will handcuff you. And there goes your integrity and your, and, and your sense see, of self. Everybody sees it. That, yeah. Everybody sees it. And what's funny is that the... You lack authenticity at that point. You've lost the workforce, right? And, and it's sad that that community there... Uh, I was only there six months, and about eight weeks ago, my little boy and I, my, 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 my boy Jake, we're walking down downtown, downtown Miami. Transit bus goes by, and we're walking on the sidewalk. Also, we hear, ah, ah. We look back, and this, an African-American. Oh, that was a car horn, was it? No, no, it was, a, it was the bus horn. Okay, just checking. Stops <laughs> in the middle of the street, sticks his head out the window, and starts yelling, Chief Acevedo! Thank you for sticking up for our community. Because people do pay attention. And I think that's the mistake that leaders make, and especially in law enforcement, they don't realize that they're constantly being watched. Especially in a world of social media, in a world of instant information, the community's watching to see how you're gonna react. And when you don't speak out, people are gonna make some judgments about you as a leader. So why do you think we see that so infrequently? Is it because people are too afraid to actually Job have security. an opinion? Job security. Job security. Because a lot of chiefs are just heading down the beige route. They're Job just not having an opinion about anything. I think that policing will not change because the, we have a crisis in leadership. Most cops are decent, good, hardworking people. Where is the crisis? It's leadership. What, what part is, where is, the, where is the deficit? Where is the There's crisis? There's no job security for police chiefs. Right. Right. I mean, look at Erica Shields in Atlanta, one of the most progressive police chiefs in the country. Had a couple of bad incidents in a row. And they, well, like, she wasn't oh. responsible for it. She got bounced so quickly. I mean, because Mayor Bottoms wanted to be vice president. So I got to show that, you know, I'm in charge and I'm doing something. She and, got stabbed in the back worse than Caesar. Oh, I mean, look, we have got to create a model where unless it's malfeasance or serious ineptitude, that a police chief gets a five-year term or two five-year terms. That would take the politics out of it Absolutely. in a way, which would be good. But it has to be for cause, has to be for real cause, because then police chiefs will start not worrying about the jobs. Because let's face it, you anger the wrong stakeholder, if it's a strong union city, you're done. Or if it's a strong community, you're done. But if we had some job security for these chiefs, a lot of chiefs would focus on actually doing the job. And still keep well, it, it does seem to drive a lot of timidity. Yes, it does. And you know what's funny is that I've always considered myself a community leader that happens to be a police chief. 
because I believe that a police chief has to be a leader in the community, and they have to see you as a community leader that's invested in that community. And when you put yourself at risk for the community that you serve and the people you lead, because believe me, it's a two-way street. I mean, my cops in Austin, when we, you know, in Austin, quite honestly, frequently, just about every officer involved shooting is controversial. Some people think cops don't have the right to defend themselves or other. I'm sorry, but they do. Yeah. It's just... And life's about choices. In a country with more guns than people, it's well, going to happen on a regular I, basis. I get really upset when the left here tries to compare gun violence with the police here to Europe. Okay. Yeah. Not exactly comparing uh, I mean, come apples on. to apples. Are you, are you kidding me? Everybody's armed here. Everybody's armed. And that's the answer to everything from the right. Toddlers in America are more deadly than adults and, and, in Europe. And sadly to themselves. Yeah. You know, accidental shootings here. Suicides here. Look, common sense, man. It's common sense. It's like, get rid of straw purchasers, truly universal background check, some real consequences to try to buy one when you're a prohibited purchaser. By the way, <laughs> to the left, when somebody uses a firearm, there's got to be consequences. Yeah. Period. There have to be certain... You know the crooks, the, the, the hardcore violent criminals in these big cities, they're not afraid of death. They're not. So we they're have not one, afraid of the police. You know what they're afraid of? Prison. That's the only thing that they all talk about. Uh, when, when, and, and, and I can show you some of the audios that we've had over the years over wires. They don't want to go to prison, but they're not afraid because they, they there's no hope in a lot of these folks, right? They've got to know that there's consequences. Coming back to what you're saying about being out there, letting people know your views, all those kind of things. I mean, people would push back and probably say, yeah, well, that's great, but you, know, you got fired in Miami, mm -hmm. even though you're going to go back and revisit that. I mean, it's, you know, for people who want some job security, you've got kids in school and kids in college and stuff like that. Stay, stay a captain. Right. Stay a lieutenant. Stay a sergeant. Stay an assistant chief. But when you're the chief, your job as a leader is to put yourself at risk. And if you're not willing to take the risk, don't take the job. Because what we do is too important. It's just too important. And the Miami thing, the one thing I always tell my cops is, it doesn't matter whether the chief likes you or doesn't like you. Doesn't matter. The one that has complete control of your integrity is you. And in my position, if you lie, you die, that I always talk about with my cops on day one of the academy, by the way. I said, look, it, even if the underlying cause of the discipline is so egregious that you're not going to keep your job, but if you still tell the truth, you get to keep one thing. That's your integrity. What's policing going to look like in three, four years' time? I think we're going to be still having the same exact conversations. Really? The same exact failures. I'm just going to rerun to this podcast then, can I? You, you know, unfortunately, it's, it's really not rocket science. I mean, from a policing standpoint, it's treating people right, treating them with respect. Uh, and from a leadership standpoint is that you lift up the good when the officers do good and you hold people accountable. And you have to understand that everybody needs to be a cop. Right. And when somebody demonstrates through their actions, through their deeds, that they don't need to be a cop, you got to cut your losses. It breaks my heart. Every time I'd fire people over the years, I have to take Pepsid. Not because of them, but guess who I was thinking about that night when I'm home? Their families. Yeah. Their families, their children. Uh, but I'm sorry. The old Star Trek scene, the, there's Spock, he's inside the, uh, some kind of propulsion room or something, and he has to put the cap back on. He says, he's dying away. And there. he's dying away. 
And I'm going, oh my God, we're losing Spock. And, and Jim tells him, oh, come on. And he goes, no, Jim, the needs of the many outweighs the need of the one. Never put you down as a Trekkie. Aye, Trekkie and Star Wars, those are the two things I love. Good man. You know what, and I always loved Darth Vader, even as a little kid. I knew that deep down inside, the good would come out when I saw it at 12 years old. And you remember how that ended, right? He takes the emperor, that's what, because I think to me that means don't give up on people. Keep working on them, right? And what's interesting for me is that I have no regrets, really. I don't regret going to Miami because what they don't understand, I went there with my integrity intact, I left my integrity intact, and my firing said more about them than it said about me. Art Acevedo, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Doc. <laughs> Good to see you, dude. Cheers, mate. <laughs> All right, let's see if this thing works. That was episode 53 of Reducing Crime, recorded in Washington, D.C. in May 2022. A link to the full video I played with Art in the post-George Floyd crowd in Houston is at reducingcrime.com slash podcast, along with transcripts of this and every episode. New episodes are announced on Twitter at underscore reducing crime if Twitter continues to survive, and I personally lurk at Jerry underscore Ratcliffe. Don't forget the underscores. Subscribe to this podcast at Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple, or wherever you pod, so that you don't miss an episode, you know, if Twitter goes south on us. Be safe, and best of luck. Mm-hmm.